0: And welcome to our October episode of the Computomics podcast. With me today is Sebastian Schulteis, the managing director and co-founder of Computomics, because this is a special episode. We are celebrating 10 years of Computomics. Sebastian, welcome back to the podcast and congratulations. Thank you. How Great are you feeling? Back. Yeah, I, I bet. And especially for this anniversary. How, how are you feeling in light of it?
1: It seems unreal, but apparently 10 years have passed since we started this.
0: (laughs) It is quite crazy, but also, yeah, like you say, 10 years, it seems like a short time, but it's also a long time. So I'm really excited that um, we'll have this very special episode today where we basically look back at the history of Computomics through plants, through 10 plants that we selected So we'll have a chance to not just hear fun facts about the plants, but also hear about the challenges and questions that Computomics addressed about this plant. So, I would say, are you ready, Sebastian?
1: Yes, ready. Looking forward to discussing our different projects over the years.
0: Then let's have a look at our first plant. It's a classic.
2: Did you know that the Great Wall of China is held together with sticky rice? And that rice is grown on every continent except Antarctica? These are just two fun facts about rice, or a sativa. As a complex carb, it is the primary source of energy for over half of the world's people. And in 2012, rice was the first plant Computomics took a closer look at.
0: As we just heard, rice, uh, quite an important plant. What role did rice play in Computomics' first year, in 2012?
1: When we started the company, our first real job was to help assemble rice genomes and that was uh, for a long time uh, much of the projects that computomics did uh, genome assemblies and analyses and in this case we had the option of working with short reads at the time which many of the genomes were in and we were able to convince our customer also to use some additional long reads and long read methods that were really novel at the time And it gave us a chance of using one of our signature hybrid assemblies between different kinds of data that we are able to combine, which is one of our specialties to this day. As a bioinformatics company, we always look for good sources of data. And if there is information uh, that can be extracted from one of these sources, we use that and put together results that contains much more than the sum of its parts.
0: You said, I mean, this is something that to this day is relevant to, to Computomics, but it is interesting to, to maybe think about how it has changed. You said you had to convince your customers to, to use long reads. How has that changed maybe since then?
1: Nowadays, no one would even consider short reads for this kind of project. And um, any genomes that are being assembled today would certainly use long reads only. Of course, it has to do with uh, the enormous price decrease but also with the quality gains of these long DNA sequencing reads over time. The short read technology is still relevant in genotyping and other uh, particular questions, uh, especially when you have lots and lots of samples. But for an individual species, for a genome, for example, long reads are really key because they can capture a lot of the variation that doesn't occur in the length of one of these short reads but might be even spanning a whole chromosome for example.
0: And last question about the, the rice part of the story. Do you recall maybe specific results or something about the process that stuck with the customers as well or that you got as feedback?
1: The interesting part was that we really identified quite a lot of differences also in gene expression. There, were, there was an element of gene expression analysis there. And it was the first time that when we did work uh, with an industry client, they actually also agreed to uh, publish um, the result. Mm-hmm. And that's why we can talk about this today and why we can mention uh, this project, because this customer actually decided, yeah, we're going to go to a conference and we're going to showcase our new rice assemblies that were created by Computomics.
0: That's exciting, especially this early on in the, in the development of the company as well. Um... To, to, have, to have that kind of public output and, and then hopefully also some feedback from the scientific community as well.
1: Exactly. So it played a big role in the beginning to be able to say, hey, they are our clients. We are working on these very complex crops and here's a good result that we were able to obtain. Contrast to scientific publications, they uh, didn't actually publish uh, the results in terms of a data set, but they published mm-hmm. results in terms of what we were able to achieve. And how it compared to existing assemblies, for example.
0: Okay, interesting. Still, publication uh, something to to work with and to continue to build on. I think it's time to to maybe check out the the second plant uh, that we have in store for you today. Something that you focused on in the following year two thousand thirteen, and uh, it's to many people it's a kind of a winter plant, or at least to me it is. But it has so many more uses. So let's put the spot on our second plant.
2: Cabbage can run a chainsaw. Sounds crazy, but it's true. Thanks to canola or Brassica napis. The plant is grown to produce animal feed, edible vegetable oils and biodiesel. In 2013, Computomics developed a product that helps researchers understand this widely used plant better. Methyl score.
0: Methyl score. When when I read that the first time, I was like, sounds a bit like a video game. <laughs> what is methyl score, Sebastian? And how did it help your customers?
1: We had even more unhealthy words. Oh, do do tell, please. <laughs> so because it's a pipeline, one of the suggestions was methpipe, which didn't make it into a product <laughs> name, fortunately. But the idea is really about understanding another key part of plant's genome, which is a specific way of storing, let's say, changes without the need to actually modify the DNA. So when a genome is present in a plant cell, part of it is being uh, transcribed into proteins uh, all of the time. And plants have developed these mechanisms to suppress certain genes, especially if they just cost energy to produce like transposons or so. And so they silence these areas of the genome so they are no longer expressed. And this process is called methylation. So part of the DNA is being modified slightly without actually changing the coding base, but just modifying it chemically a little bit to make sure that it's no longer read off and does no longer produce anything. And in other organisms, this has been known to be connected to the long term memory of a cell and in these cases sometimes also nerve cells that store certain impressions that they've had which is sort of an adaptation in the living organism which uh, for a long time geneticists thought uh, didn't exist but here with methylation in some cases the plant uh, in our case adapts to uh, certain environmental impacts or changes in its own genome and therefore uh, you have these kinds of edits of the DNA methylation space.
0: And you developed what's or what the methyl score itself, the product itself, does this chemically induced process? Or how exactly does this work?
1: Just like all of our products, we simply monitor what's going on. We don't make any modifications ourselves. And methyl score is the same way. It observes what methylation changes have happened, say, between two sister lines of a plant that have been grown side by side or with different environmental impacts, maybe one has been exposed to drought stress, didn't get enough water, and suddenly it has maybe a different methylation pattern, differential methylation, as we call it, that lead to differences in the phenotype of the plant, so how it reacts and how it looks like to the outside. So if it's accustomed to not receiving enough water, maybe it stays smaller, maybe It tries to capture more moisture in other ways. So there might be these kinds of changes that uh, you can see on the outside. And you are able to capture this with a specific sequencing technology. And this has been, of course, studied first in uh, animals and humans. But over time, people also looked at what is this mechanism like in plants. And there we discovered that methylation of the DNA can occur in two additional ways to how it occurs in humans or other animals. And that means we had to come up with a tool that is able to capture all of the different ways in which methylation can occur in plants, which didn't exist at the time. So we uh, created a specific version of methylation detection or differential methylation uh, detection for plant species.
0: That's Methylscore and that's exciting. Um, Can you maybe just as a final point, if you're allowed to go into any applications of these results or this new tool that you developed?
1: You can use it. Nowadays, we've published uh, Methylscore as a tool and for research purposes, uh, it's free to use. And uh, the idea is that if you're doing these kinds of studies in plants, you better watch out for all three of these different methylation patterns that can occur because otherwise you're going to miss a lot of the information. And it's a basic research tool, and that's why we make it available to researchers. And that was also the question for our customer. They were interested, basically, from a basic research perspective.
0: Exciting. So we'll definitely keep that for the show notes. (laughs) Remind everyone that they can still use Methylscore if they want to. I'd like to have a look at our third plant, which is also quite exciting, and I learned a lot about it through Computomics. Let's go.
2: The mamala tree, or homolanthus newtens, is a small tree native to various tropical islands like Cook Islands, Fiji, Tonga, and Samoa. Traditional healers in Samoa have long used its bark to treat ailments such as hepatitis. The chemical contained in the mamala tree bark, called prostratin, was a focus of Computomics research in 2014.
0: So prostratin, Why did you try to better understand the production process of of this chemical specifically?
1: In these years, um, Computomics was partnering with PacBio, Pacific Biosciences, a sequencing company with a marketing initiative called The Most Interesting Genome in the World. And the idea was that researchers could pitch maybe their sequencing need as being necessary because they are looking at the most interesting genome in the world from their perspective And they tried to convince a jury of the specific need for the sequencing. And PacBio provided the reagents. University of Arizona provided the machine and the labor. And Computomics provided genome assembly for whatever genome would win this contest of being the most interesting in that year.
0: And you chose, or the the jury rather chose the mamala tree, or that prostratine chemical that is in that tree bark.
1: That's right. Yeah, in that year, the jury chose the homalanthus or mamala tree because this particular chemical or complex molecule is actually an HIV treatment. So you can use it to help people who are suffering from an HIV infection or from being HIV positive and as we've heard traditional healers have used this to treat other viral infections like hepatitis and what we are doing is we are assembling this genome in order to find all of the genes necessary to create this very complex molecule. As you know many drugs are very simple molecules and they can be readily synthesized with easy starting components and a certain process that chemists can come up with, but this chemical was quite complex and it took a lot of effort to try and identify how to best extract it in the first place. And then the idea often is if we want to use this as an actual drug in regular treatments, we need a way to synthesize a lot of it, Uh, so several kilograms in the end, And that is usually best done with microorganisms instead of plants. So then we don't have to cut down the trees and use their bark and instead have bacteria in a nutrient solution producing this chemical so that we can easily purify it and have large quantities of it because uh, we might need a lot of it.
0: Wow, that's an exciting project. Do you recall or is it still ongoing, this type of research? Because I think we're in 2014 now as far as the computomics history is concerned when it started.
1: Yes, when we handed it off, we were able to uh, show a few of the necessary genes that are involved in the metabolism of uh, creating this particular chemical, and it has been shown to have this in vitro activity against the HIV virus, so we left the researchers to work on really identifying the best way to synthesize this complex trait with uh, whatever microorganism they thought would work best.
0: Amazing. Sometimes it's also really great to be able to contribute to such a cause as HIV treatment, but then also do your part and then the researchers go on with the work and the and the results that, that you help to provide. Definitely for me, and I'm assuming for a lot of our listeners, uh, the mamala tree, uh, prostratine is, is more on the exotic side, maybe something they didn't know about. Our next plant that we're going to tackle is one of the better known ones, I would argue, and uh, one of the important ones too. So Let's have a listen.
2: Did you know that soybean was once used to build a car? And that one acre of soybeans can produce 82,368 crayons? Soybean is an important source of food, protein, and oil. The plant is used in plastics, wood adhesives, and textiles. It may even be in the chair you are sitting on right now. In 2015, Computomics focused on soybean to develop one of its most impactful products, Score.
0: Exceed score, what's the challenge that this computomics product addresses?
1: It's still our most important product to date. And in 2015, we started developing the necessary parts of it. The goal is to identify what a plant uh, will look like and how it will perform in the field before it even exists. So, what we are doing is we are building a model for how plant uh, performance looks like based on the genetics of plant. So in this case, we had a lot of information about uh, different soybean breeding starts, so potential parents that could be used in crosses. And then the question is, how will their offspring perform? Is there a chance that there's a really good one in there based on simulations of crosses that we can make? And is there a chance of producing something that is really impactful with maybe a certain size of uh, population for this particular family of crosses. When we evaluate uh, these crosses, what we do is we look at the distribution of the performance of all the offspring. And when there is maybe early flowering, early maturing uh, varieties in there that have very high yield, that's exactly the kind of plant that we would then uh, want to have. And then we tell the breeders, okay, this is how many of these you will have to grow. And this is how their performance is going to be. And the novelty with ExceedScore over existing scientific and statistical methods is that the machine learning part contributes an interesting additional aspect because it can really integrate environmental information. For the first time, we are able to work with data from the soil, from how the weather is going to be uh, in a certain region, and make sure that within the simulation, we account for uh, the interaction, not just of genes with each other, but of genes and their environment. And that way we can make a good suggestion of which of these soybean varieties fulfill breeder's goals.
0: That's Pretty epic, so small wonder it's still your most important product in the in the CompuTomics line of products starting in 2015. I think we will cover or we will get back to Exceed Score one or two more times with different plants that we'll cover today. So let's jump to our next one, which is also one of my personal favorites.
2: Got an itch? Grab a banana! Thanks to its oil, rubbing the inside of a banana peel on a mosquito bite helps to keep it from itching or getting inflamed. Oh, and did you know there is no such thing as a banana tree? Bananas are actually massive herbs related to palms, lilies, and orchids. They're the largest plants on earth without a woody stem. So bananas are a strong herb, maybe the strongest, but they also have a potentially fatal flaw, a flaw Computomics tried to alleviate in 2016.
0: So the obvious question is what, the first one, (laughs) what is the fatal banana flaw?
1: So interestingly, the current uh, variety uh, that we know as the banana is actually only the second best choice in a way, because a few decades ago, the variety that everyone was growing and that everyone was eating was called Grand Michel, and it was reportedly a very sweet, very uh, delicious banana that unfortunately no longer exists. And that's because it was wiped out completely uh, by a virus. And the banana, or all of the plants that uh, are being grown today, they are clones of exactly the same plant. And all around the world, wherever bananas are being grown, um, the ones that we know from buying in the supermarket, they are all exactly the same individual, if you will. And that's why they always look exactly the same. So uh, they are very reliable in that way. But if there is one Infection that can kill uh, one of these plants, the infection is guaranteed to be able to kill all of them. And that's what happened with the Grand Michel variety. Uh, They were completely wiped out. And then a lot of time and money had to be invested in making uh, people really like the current variety again, which to people who knew the Grand Michel didn't uh, really taste as good. It's not as sweet. It's a bit harder and it's not as. Apparently, as delicious as the Gourmand variety was,
0: we can only imagine what the first one, the first great banana, tasted like. But um, but that is a huge issue. That's a huge flaw. Uh, what exactly did you work on to maybe address that flaw, or to answer the question that that flaw raises?
1: So the current variety, the Cavendish, isn't immune uh, to the same issues. It was just it just happened to be immune uh, to the one virus that. Got our previous variety, but another uh, virus could develop and we know how fast they could spread across the world and then wipe out every plantation there is today, which would be a very serious economic issue. So, one of the institutes in France that deals with tropical plants asked us to help with assembling uh, genomes for a few wild varieties of banana, which could potentially diversify what we are growing today and which would help us understand also which viruses these particular varieties are susceptible to and how to potentially neutralize some of these threats that occur in this area.
0: That would be nice because I wouldn't want to live without bananas (laughs) and I definitely don't want to live without the next plant that uh, we have in our register of plants today.
2: Ask 10 people how they like their coffee, and you'll get 20 different answers. Cold brew, espresso, mocha, hand-filtered, and some even prefer cat poop coffee. Americans spend an average of 3 bucks on coffee per day. That's almost $1,100 per year. According to a 2020 study, Dutch people are the top coffee drinkers. On average, a Dutch person will consume 8.3 kilograms of coffee every year.
0: That's a lot of coffee. I love coffee. I don't drink quite as much, I think. (laughs) Um, But still, it's a well-used, widely used plant. And in 2017, Computomics worked on coffee Arabica. First of all, why Arabica?
1: Yeah, so coffee is also often considered the most important plant in science because without it, not a lot would get done and we all know how much scientists like their varieties and arabica is the variety that's being used for espresso beans and often is a bit more difficult to grow so it's a bit more expensive and uh, that is probably what makes the appeal and the money for this project came from um, a public project granted to the university of california davis They, in turn, received it from a Japanese drinks manufacturer, Suntory. And this variety was the one, of course, uh, that they chose to be assembled. So, once again, a genome assembly that we did. And, of course, in this case, also an annotation. So, the University of California Davis, or UC Davis, has a good reputation in creating these kinds of genomes. And they have been receiving these kinds of grants over the years from different places. And in this case, they needed some additional support for the annotation because that's always a bit of manual work and we were happy to help.
0: If only to keep your own research going with the coffee that you're drinking. Precisely. Perfect. So then let's have a look at our next plant.
2: A bushel of wheat makes about 42 pounds of pasta or 210 servings of spaghetti. One bushel of wheat contains approximately one million individual kernels, And wheat doesn't just land on your plate. Hair conditioners, body lotions, and lip balms often contain wheat proteins, too. Wheat, or triticum estivum, is the most harvested crop in the world. In 2020, world production of wheat was 761 million tons, making it the second most produced cereal after maize.
0: It's probably stating the obvious to say that wheat is important wheat is everywhere as we heard not just in the food but also conditioners other products what is the challenge you focused on with wheat in 2018
1: we were once again uh, using exceed score to identify which of the lines would perform best and which uh, crosses could produce superior offspring in the 1910s the uh, first real results came in for uh, hybrid corn And that really revolutionized um, corn growing and makes it still today one of the most lucrative crops to grow for farmers. And our customer noticed this gap in wheat seeds, which are incredibly cheap uh, comparatively, because right now we don't have any hybrids. And if we were able to maybe increase the yield as dramatically as we were with hybrid corn and do the same thing in wheat, We would solve a big uh, part of the nutrition crunch uh, that we're facing with 2050 uh, becoming 10 billion people on the planet. And as you mentioned, especially here in Europe, uh, it's one of the important staple crops uh, that we use, one of the three most grown um, field crops that we eat. So being able to produce uh, potentially hybrid wheat is one of the big challenges and something that we help contribute to.
0: That is a big milestone for sure. For our next plant, we're also looking at a crop that is popular in many places and has been for a long time.
2: Do you live in the US, UK, or anywhere else that prefers the imperial system of measuring in inches and feet to the metric system? If yes, you are handling plant history whenever you measure something. Barley was the model for the size of an inch. In 1324, King Edward II of England standardized the measurement as, quote, three grains of barley, dry and round, placed end-to-end lengthwise, unquote. So maybe think about barley to distract yourself next time your favorite team is an inch short of the goal. And if that doesn't work, well, barley is also a main ingredient in beer.
0: So, Sebastian, when did you focus on barley and what was the goal in your work with
1: barley? Barley is, of course, an important ingredient in beer. And therefore, it's an important question of how will it perform when it's being processed for malting. The questions for corn, for example, or for wheat are quite different. Um, They're not as much about uh, the different qualities. But with malting and with large uh, breweries... Wanting to really produce the same kind of taste every time uh, you open a bottle of beer, that's a big challenge. And making sure that they have the right quality and uh, the right varieties of uh, barley to produce uh, the products that everyone of their customers is used to, again, a big challenge. So we are working with um, one of the world's largest breweries to make sure that uh, they can do that year after year again by applying exceed score to identify which lines perform best and which of the crosses they can produce actually have superior offspring compared to what we have in the field today.
0: So I can thank you probably (laughs) next time I'm enjoying a glass of beer. Uh, We're not going to name the brewery, but it's another super important area of of food and, and drinks where you've had a part in. The next one is hot.
2: Bell peppers have the highest vitamin C content of any fruit or vegetable. In fact, it's three times higher than in oranges. The Latin name for chili or bell peppers is capsicum. There are five capsicum species which are widely cultivated. Spiciness of capsicum is measured in Scoville heat units. The hottest chili pepper in the world is currently the Carolina Reaper with up to 2.2 million Scoville heat units. And as fans of the YouTube show Hot Ones can attest, Even if you don't enjoy eating hot chilies, you can enjoy the reactions and answers they elicit in others.
0: So, uh, Capsicum, you focused on the entire family, so that includes chilies and bell peppers, right?
1: Yes, everything. So, this was a public project funded in part by the AI for SME initiative of Baden-Württemberg, our local state here. And we were trying to answer the question, which of the varieties that already exist, uh, really has the best potential to becoming like a small snack plant uh, that people can put on their balcony and that they could pick up maybe at a supermarket. And with uh, that environment, they will have to be quite robust because uh, they will be transported over long distances. They will be maybe not watered for uh, quite a long time. And that means we were looking for the ones that uh, would be most resilient uh, under this kind of treatment.
0: This sounds to me like it might not be an exceed score process. Which product did you use to to figure out the answers to those questions for the most snackable chili or or bell pepper?
1: The challenge really was to observe these uh, plants over time as we were storing them. Unfortunately, right during the pandemic, we couldn't really access the kinds of lab spaces and areas that we wanted to, but we were able to grow them at a local garden center, and then take pictures of them as they were being exposed to this treatment. So, being transported into cold storage, being transported back and stored under sort of supermarket conditions. And we took thousands and thousands of photos of them with our automatic phenotyping uh, tool called CropScore. With CropScore, you can monitor plants and their phenotypes as they are changing over time because uh, one of the key features of it is it will take all of the pictures uh, that you want to take at the same time. So you really have a simultaneous data set that was taken at exactly the same time because many plant uh, characteristics change over day. Maybe you have seen these short time-lapse movies of a plant, which is actually moving quite a bit uh, during the day, and Mm -hmm. uh, you can see flowers opening and so on. So having to capture specific changes over time is something that crop score is really good at.
0: That's Pretty cool. Now I'm seeing you put the image of of time lapses in my head. So I'm seeing plants grow in, in front of my inner eye now. But yeah, that's very exciting. Did you figure out which one was the most snackable or is this still an ongoing process?
1: So we figured out breeding markers. So ways for the breeders to tell uh, which of these uh, plants are probably resistant to this kind of treatment, who are resistant to drought and who will recover the quickest once maybe you've bought it at the supermarket and you're taking it home and watering it for the first time in two weeks, will it come back to life or will you not be able to save it at that point? And this is really the quest that we were on to identify the one that could survive this treatment and jump back uh, to life and still maybe carry a few fruits and give you uh, what you're looking for, either a very snackable uh, variety without any heat or a Carolina Reaper level.
0: (laughs) For the extra hot stuff. So we'll move from hot to sweet with our next plant.
2: Did you know that many toothpastes and mouthwashes contain stevia? This Paraguayan shrub plant prevents the buildup of bacterial plaque, cavities and gingivitis. It helps to keep your teeth and gums healthy. Another big plus, cultivation of stevia leaves a minimal environmental footprint. It uses only 5% of the water needed for growing sugarcane, for example. only about one-fifth of the land
0: so stevia good for your pearly whites better for the environment as compared to other sugar products what did you research or answer with regard to stevia at computomics
1: one of the big challenges in using stevia for all of this is uh, certain aftertastes that you can mask with maybe mint or other flavors So toothpastes are a good uh, place to put stevia, but if you want to put it in a drink, for example, lemonades or others that would then have a lot less calories, but they also have a certain taste that uh, many people don't really enjoy. So we were looking to reduce that kind of aftertaste that uh, many stevia products have. And in order to do that, we first had to identify where it came from within the plant's genome.
0: That sounds also like a very promising route. Did you succeed? Uh, So is Stevia better now for your input, if I can ask that daring question?
1: We can not talk about it. Ah,
0: Okay, listeners out there, we have to wait. Maybe hopefully something will be published or we will taste it when we use Stevia in a little while or in a long while, we'll see. Um, So it's time for our last plant of this array today, uh, plant number 10 for 10 years of Computomics. And uh, it's another classic.
2: The average number of kernels in a 16-row cob of corn is 800. And there is an even number of rows in every cob of corn. 5,600-year-old ears of popcorn were found in a back cave of west-central New Mexico. Native Americans used corn leaves as chewing gum, and corn is still used in gum production today. Actually, corn has over 3,500 uses in cooking, industry, and more. Z-maize is the world's most dominant and productive crop. Everything on a corn plant is usable. Corn husks are traditionally used in making tamales. The kernels are ground into food. The stalks become animal feed. And corn silks are used for medicinal teas.
0: So corn, I don't know if you can even say the most important crop. I don't know if that's ethically (laughs) questionable, but certainly one of the big important crops. Uh, which Computomics product is most relevant for corn production today and why?
1: Once again, with the field crop, it will be exceed score. The idea of producing uh, the best possible offspring from the different existing parents uh, that you can cross really comes into its own with hybrid breeding. In hybrids, what you're getting is two very distantly related parents will produce offspring That is uh, not just as good as uh, both of these two combined, but much, much better than the sum of its parts. And this kind of nonlinear interaction, as we say, um, is something that ExceedScore is able to model. And with the help of our machine learning models, we'll be able to then predict uh, which of these varieties have the best chance of producing good offspring. And especially in contrast with uh, existing methods, we're able to pick out the kinds of crosses that still maintain a certain genetic diversity uh, within the breeding program, because we don't look at uh, relatedness, but we look at individual uh, genomic performance.
0: And maybe for a final question, because ICSEED score has, has been quite dominant in our examples as well, is can you put a number on that difference between other methods that, that have been used previously? So like how much less time do you need to get something like from selection to market or uh, how many crops can you select with that process?
1: So one of our customers told us that uh, with the help of Exceed Score, he was able to obtain 10 times more commercial candidates from the typical number of crosses that he would produce. So it would be enough to uh, really reduce the kind of field tests that he would normally do and uh, still obtain more candidates than previously.
0: Those are exciting numbers. And also, can I say, quite poetic that it's 10 times more (laughs) than uh, with other methods. Um, We're celebrating 10 years of Computomics, and we have such a huge increase in viable crop candidates for, in this case, I guess, corn. But I assume this would be applicable to other uh, field crops as well. So that was it. 10 plans, 10 examples of the work that you've done with Computomics over the last 10 years and are still continuing to do. Almost as short as it felt to you, I'm I'm sure, (laughs) Um, those 10 examples. We've learned a lot about what you've done. Final, final question. Do you have a favorite? I know it's a hard question, but do you have a favorite project maybe if you just have to select from the 10 that you mentioned now?
1: Just from the very beginnings, I think rice was always a really interesting plant to look at. And it's also one of the few grains that you eat basically as they are. So you're not only optimizing for yield to have much bigger kernels or other characteristics. But consumer will also take a look at these and say, yeah, this looks like rice or this does no longer look like rice because it's maybe something completely different now with breeding efforts. So it's a very specific plant and it's also the most important staple crop for humanity. Uh, that's why it's my favorite.
0: I think that's very telling, too. It's a challenging plant, and you like challenges, you personally, and you at Computomics, and you've helped deal with quite a few challenges already. So um, thank you so much for telling us a little bit about Computomics history, uh, for providing us with insight into so many things i can't even pull them all together now that we've talked from methyl score by the way free to use for basic research we'll put it in the show notes uh, to uh, how you help with keeping the quality of beer going but also helping with hiv research we've covered a lot of ground and it was very exciting i hope you'll be back sebastian i hope you listeners We'll be back for future episodes of the Computomics podcast. Feel free to check out our website, computomics.com, for information on previous episodes. And if you haven't yet, please follow us so you're always up to date. And hopefully, hear you next time.